and welcome. Prepare your heart as we dive into the Word of God. Pastor Steve of Beloved Church in Lena, Illinois is about to lead you into a life-changing encounter with grace and truth. Jesus Christ has a divine destiny perfectly orchestrated for those who are willing to be adventurous enough to receive His favor and blessing into their life. Our prayer is that you will allow the presence of the comforting Holy Spirit of God to radically display the Father's love for you. You are a part of God's beloved family, and that means you are greatly loved. Now over to Pastor Steve. All right, so we are in the series called The Hero Within. And the title of today's message is different than on your piece of paper. <laughs> the title of today's message is Make America Godly Again. MAGA. That's right. I'm going to preach a MAGA message. <laughs> if I had a red hat, I wouldn't wear it. <laughs> Make America Godly Again. In Psalm 16, in the NLT, it says, the angel of the Lord appeared. <laughs> my bad. You're right. I was wrong. The godly people in the land, they are my true heroes. The godly people in the land, land, nation. One of the things that I've been embracing, the Lord's been impressing upon me for a year, maybe two now, is that he thinks in generations, plural, and nations, plural. We think in self. If I could just get a little raise for me and my family, if I could just get my house paid off, if I could just get my health figured out, God thinks in generations and nations. So we very, very seldom think like him. Did Jesus come to save just you? Yep. Yep. But he was aware of just you being a part of a generation, being part of a nation, and he was saving generations and nations. We don't think like God. And I'll tell you, as a church leader who ministers to church leaders... It's totally normal for even church leaders to say, man, if I could just get my church sorted. I'll tell you, the average pastor, like if they think like the church is, is going along pretty good, they're, they're pretty darn happy. I'm not. I, I want everyone in here to have a prosperous soul, to be living in divine health, to be living in divine prosperity in all seven categories that, that Pastor Bob has been teaching us and training us. I want everybody in here for that, but I also want you to understand that you're blessed to be a blessing. Amen. It's not about your generation. It's about generations. It's not about just your family. It's about your family impacting your neighborhood impacting your society, impacting your nation, and our nation impacting the nations until the nations of the world become the nations of our God is what Revelation said. 
And I want us to start thinking outside of that. One of the reasons that I think that we miss the target in our lives is because we have this very small self-centered focus. If we think way bigger than us, what is this going to do to my grandchildren yet unborn? What is this going to do to their grandchildren? I actually radically impacted someone that that I know and I love and loves me and we have a great relationship, but they're kind of in the, of the philosophy that they're just gonna, they're just gonna raise their, their family in godliness and they're gonna, they're gonna kind of stay separated from all this stuff because the politics and the government and the, and the wokeness and all the, all the garbage that's going on, they're just like, man, it's just, it's terrible, I'm out, I'm done. And one of the things that, that impacted him that I'd said to him is, here's what I believe. If we don't win this, if we don't take back America again for God, that means that Hannah is going to have to fight it. Or Hannah's kids. Or Hannah's kids' kids. And I, I got to tell you, it is one of the most self-centered and godless things that I could do is to kick the can of the fight down the road so that my children or my grandchildren have to fight because I was too limp-wristed to do what I needed to do. And we've been doing this for generations already. This didn't just happen overnight. America didn't get detestable, vile and wicked overnight. We didn't wake up this morning and they're like, oh, well, they vandalized the Baptist church and no. This is fruits of roots that went decades, decades and decades. And God wants to see the heroes rise again in the nations and take back generations and nations for him. Are you willing to be one of those people? In Colossians 1.27, it tells us that that hero that you are called to be, you already are. Nobody in here has to become a hero. You have to manifest the hero that's already within you. God doesn't want to turn you into a hero. When you got born again, you got it. It's like Pragu, those of you that are old enough to remember the Pragu commercial on TV. I want oregano. It's already in there. I want basil. It's already in there. I want salt. It's already in there. It's already in there. When Christ came in, whatever you need, it's already in there. The hero is in there. The one that needs to make you healthy is in there. The great physician is in there. The king of kings, the lord of lords that goes out and rules over the nations and over generations, he's already in there. Everything you need is already in there. So we need to learn to manifest what's already in there. God did this because he, God did this because he wanted you, beloved, to understand his wonderful and glorious mystery. This was mysterious to generations before Christ. The mystery is that Christ, the Christ, not a Christ, the Christ, 
The one that the entire Old Testament prophesied for, for 4,000 years. That was one day coming. That every, every Jewish person would say, man, if we could only get the Christ to come, he would solve all the problems. That, the mystery is that Christ lives in you. He lives there. He's not visiting this morning because you came to church. He's made his temple, he's made his abode in your heart and your life. And he is the hope, the blueprint. Hope means blueprint of you sharing in God's glory. And the word glory in the Greek is doxa, and it means of high value, of high opinion. So God's glory is God's high value and God's opinion. That's what Jeremiah 29, 11 says that I, have, I know the thoughts that I think towards you, thoughts of good and not of evil, to give you an expected end. The NIV says a hope and a future. I, I like expected end in the King James because it means that he's already predetermined the end. He expects you to hit the end. He has a high value. He has a godly value on your life. He has a godly opinion of who you are and what you've been endowed with. It's him. God doesn't fail at anything. The God on the inside of you doesn't fail at anything. He is more than a conqueror. He is the victor of all victors. And he wants you to experience it with him. That's why he had to move in. The most accepted and pervasive sin in the Americanized Christian church today is a four-letter word that starts with F. Does anybody know that four-letter F word? Fear. Fear. And it is the most vile of all cuss words for a believer. Jesus fussed his disciples over fear more than any other singular topic. Fear and unbelief, which are kissing cousins. Courageous people face and defeat personal fear. That's what moves you into the characteristic of courageous, is that when things are coming against you personally, I, I had to do this. I didn't think that I was capable or qualified of writing a book. One of the reasons it took me a year to write this book. It wasn't because the story is something that somebody wants to hear. And it's really not even because sometimes I have things that people, God bless them, want to, say, want to hear. I just didn't believe that I had it. I got in terrible trouble in English class in high school. Terrible, terrible trouble. I could give you names. I... I haven't been that guy. I haven't really seen myself as the kind of person that can say things in such a way that people want to hear them. And I know you're sitting there thinking like, wait a minute, we're in your church. I know. Freaks me out every Sunday. <laughs> you all keep showing up. <laughs> Ran you off yet. I mean, it's a, it's a common thing to make fun of the words that I make up amongst the staff. It's like on Tuesday, we have a little side meeting. Okay, what words did Steve make up this Sunday? And so I had to work through the, the personal fear. I had to be courageous say, you know what? Whatever. I don't care if my mom buys 500 copies because she loves her son. I'm writing this story. It's going to be out there. 
And if the world wants it, then it's going to be there. I believe I can do this. I believe I can start a church. I almost screwed up my marriage beyond repair, almost screwed up my life beyond repair. And then the Lord came in and said, Romans 8.30, man, Who is the one that justifies? And I remember sitting on the couch, staring at that verse. Because it says, those whom God has called, he justifies. And I knew that I was called. But I, I really honestly believed in my heart that I had made such terrible, egregious mistakes that regardless of the call, I had disqualified myself. And there's people in this room that think the exact same thing. And you know what disqualifies you? You. Your thoughts. In alignment with the enemy's opinion of you being disqualified. God doesn't give a rip how young, how old you are, how, how fat, how thin you are. God doesn't give a rip about what you've done. When he called you, he knew all that. That's what makes him God. And he still called you. And it's his job to justify the called. Not your job to justify yourself. And when I sat on that couch staring at my Kenneth Copeland reference edition Bible that my mommy bought me in King James, and it says, whom he's called, he's justified, and I know, I know, I know that I'm called, but I also know that I'm defiled. On that couch, I wrestled through the reality that he's the one that called me, it's his job to justify me. And when I bowed my knee to what he wanted to do, look out, devil. Beloved church was on the way. Packed my family up in the big red ark that's sitting at Craig's house. Moved to Texas, or moved from Texas to Illinois. Long hair and everything. Came in, started church in the funeral home. Long-haired Texas cult in the funeral home. Boy, howdy. People were staying away from our meetings by the thousands. But I was called. It took a little while for me to make it right. I'm not arguing that. Praise God for all the people that suffered through those days because that was fun. But I had to face and defeat Julia. Stop it. You ain't always been holy either. But they made it. Look, they survived. They, they, they're pushing a decade. Man, when you've been listening to me preach for a decade, you're supernatural. These folks can levitate their way out of here. I had to face and defeat personal fear. It takes courage to do that. And I'm not, not touting on me. I'm just telling you that this is a process that's a reality. David had to deal with himself before he could deal with Goliath. Man, go through the scriptures and find me a hero. Find me a courageous person that didn't deal with themselves first. 
You've got nothing to offer until you deal with you. This is why a lot of, a lot of ministers and ministries are plastic because they really haven't gone through the stuff. They haven't fought the fights. They haven't, they haven't tangled with the snakes. They haven't dealt with their own stuff. And this is why sex, drugs, rock and roll, and money will come in and destroy the average ministry. Just had a report of another person that I had an affiliation with. They just fell just a few days ago. Another, another notch on the, on the bedpost of hell. Got another preacher. It was sex. And, and to be fair, like, it's not just preachers. There, there's folks in this room that if the enemy brought you enough temptation, you'd be off and running too. Until we learn to be internally courageous over our own lives, how in the world is God going to give you the ability to be courageous in the callings and the destinies that he has for you? You can't, if you can't own you, how can God let you disciple and lead others? Courageous people face and defeat personal fear. Heroes are courageous people who help others with their fear. So to be a hero, you first have to be courageous. First face and defeat your personal enemies, your personal fears, and then you have the ability to come alongside another person or other people and help them and be a hero to them where you help them defeat the fears that are attacking them. So for you to be to embrace the character, embrace the nature of hero, you first have to start with courageous behaviors, courageous ideas, courageous belief systems for your own life. And there is nothing that is going on in your life that you cannot defeat unless you believe you can. The difference between David and the entire Israeli army was David said, whoa, 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 whoa. This uncircumcised Philistine? Note he didn't say, this really tall, strong warrior? He said, this uncircumcised Philistine. His opinion was based on covenant. Everybody else's opinion was based on what they see, heard, taste, smell, feel. Because you're here, you are already more courageous and more brave than the masses. I'm telling you. There are people right now, we just, I won't pick on anybody, but there are people right now like, this is Sunday. I'm fishing, I'm going to the lake, I'm playing golf, I'm gonna, you know, society will be fine. I, I need some time off. I need some rest and relaxation. Okay. You just stay on the fence on your boat. Remember, the fence is on fire. That's, that's where a lot of people are. This is how I'm going to fight next week's battle. With a fishing rod on Sunday when everybody else is learning how to be courageous and learning how to become the hero that God has created them. So I applaud you with all of my heart that you're here. That you've chosen the greater thing. Because I want to remind you 
that your choices are what God is able to bless or not. James tells us that the ones that do are blessed in their doing, not the ones that hear. It's the ones that do. Your butt in that purple chair is you doing. Now don't stop there. This is, this is just one part of it. There's a lot to do out there, but way to go. I consider you guys already more brave, more courageous than the masses, especially being in this church. Dear Jesus, it shocks me every time. I, sometimes when I preach, I'm like, man, ain't none of them coming back after that one. <laughs> and then you show back up. Cowards hate themselves. And then, by default, they hate others. Hatred starts with self first. Racism isn't like you just hate other people. Racism is you have an internal hatred first, and then it manifests against someone because of whatever, skin or, or ethnicity or whatever. It's a personal hatred that is manifested in some other degree. Cowards hate themselves. The reason they hate themselves is because they're cowards. They know they should be doing something. Think about this. Why would a person strap themselves to a tree and be willing to die for a tree? Why would a person make that their life? Why, why would a person's life purpose be to hug a tree? Because they don't have a divine purpose. If you don't have a divine purpose, then any old purpose will do. You can make your purpose swimming with the porpoises, climbing the next tallest mountain, getting the next highest score on Donkey Kong. I'm t you're laughing, but I'm telling you, there are people that live their lives with these purposes. Why? Because you were created to embrace purpose. And if you don't have the divine purpose of what you were created for, then any old purpose will do. That's a cowardly, cowardly way to live, is to live without a divine purpose. Because then it's easy to live your life with the world patting you on the back, telling you, hey, we're so proud of you. We've been looking for a gamer just like you. We're going to buy you Mountain Dew until the cows come home. It is really hard to stand up and say, hey, you know what, culture? <laughs> I'm not okay with gender dysphoria. I'm not okay with you coming after our children's in school. I'm not okay with you telling me that right is wrong and wrong is right. I'm not okay with you telling me that I gotta hate people because of the color of their skin or because they're different than me. I'm not okay with that. You stand up and do that, you're gonna be with me in Facebook jail. I've only got three more days left. Heroes believe in their ability to affect change. Heroes believe that they personally can move the dial. You don't have to move the whole dial for the whole world. You just have to move the dial. Some of the reasons that people aren't courageous or heroic is because they really don't believe they can move the dial. What can I do? You've even heard people say that. You might have even have said it yourself. Well, what can I do about it? That is one of the slickest traps of the enemy. 
What can you do about it? Nothing. What can Christ in you do about it? You've fallen into the trap. You think it's just about you. Fear is believing you will fail. So you stay inactive and fail. You know what the guaranteed failed? To, to guarantee to fail, all you have to do is one thing. Nothing. 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 You do nothing, I will guarantee you that you will fail. You do something, you might fail. But you might succeed. And there's no guarantees unless God told you. If God says do this, it'll be successful. God doesn't raise failures. He doesn't prophesy failures. If you do nothing, which is what most of the world is doing. There's people sleeping in right now. They're doing nothing. What are they doing? They're failing. Doing nothing is failing. If the boat is moving, you probably have heard Andrew say this. If the boat is moving, then God can at least start to direct it. You could even be moving the exact opposite way. But if you're moving, then God can come in and take the helm and move the rudder. And even if you're going the exact opposite direction, he'll get you turned back around if you give him enough time and submission. Now, you might go two years the wrong direction and he'll bend that sucker back around and two years back. And so it might take you four years to get to zero, but in four years and one day, you've crossed the line. You're in uncharted territory and God's got the helm. Watch out, Satan. Heroes live in confidence. Cowards cower in insecurity. Cowards cower. Heroes are confident. When you are embracing confidence, one of the things that you'll hear pretty often is you're arrogant. Godly confidence to the world looks like arrogance. Bravery is a muscle in everyone's character that must be exercised. Everybody was born with the muscle of bravery. But some of us have little bitty muscle because we've never used it. But it's still there. You can use it today. And maybe you can only pick up one pound. But you work that sucker long enough and you get through the growing pains and you... And you stop whining to your wife about how much your muscles hurt after the good workout that you wanted to do because you wanted your muscles to get bigger and now you're complaining to your wife that your muscles hurt? I know, nobody in here except for me. You do that long enough and you push through the pain and you stop whining or your wife walks away and so you ain't got nobody to whine to. Eventually at some point, they'll get bigger. They'll get stronger. They'll get more capable. People will actually call you over to open up jars of jelly. <laughs> and you'll flex on purpose and like, pow! And your wife goes, <gasps> Hero. <laughs> she, 
She has never swooned yet. I had talked about it from this pulpit endlessly, and she has yet to swoon. I've never made her swoon. I'm going to get there, though. <laughs> Heroes fight for what they believe in. One day. <laughs> the next point is heroes fight for what they love. Swoon. <laughs> One of the reasons that our culture is, is destitute of heroes is because we really don't authentically love things. Do you know what? Think about these parents that are taking their children into these environments, knowing, knowing what those environments are doing to their children literally grooming them and abusing them. And these children are, and these parents are taking their children in these environments, and you know what they're calling it? Love. They're calling it love. Because we don't authentically, with God's love, love things, God's love hates evil. I know that will mess with you, but Psalm, man, like, I think it's 35... 17, something like that, it says, those of you who love God hate evil. It's a command. In the Greek, it's a, or in the Hebrew, it's of the command tense, which means you cannot love God and not hate evil. One of the ways you can measure the authentic love in a person for God is to see their hatred for evil. You know why they should hate evil? Because evil hurts people. And to be able to stand there and watch a person be decimated by evil, to watch a person in an addiction killing themselves and just be like, well, I just love you. Here's another bottle. Here's some more money. Go buy some more drugs. That's not love. That is totally not love. Jess said this last week. It was so good. I'm going to use this all the time. I'm going to give her credit two or three more times, and after that, it's mine. <laughs> she, said, she said last week that nice is the enemy of kind. And think about that. Like one of the biggest things that people want us to be in our culture is nice today. You know what nice is? Well, just let everybody do whatever they want, run all over you. Because you're nice. You just got to take it and be nice. God's not nice. He's kind. In kindness, if you come up and you want to hurt my wife, in love and kindness, I will hit you so hard in the face that your grandkids will know what happened. In love and kindness, and I mean that. God, think about what God will do for his people. You think that it's, you think the people that have been martyred and hurt in the name of Satan, that God's just like, oh, my poor people, I just wish there was something that someone could do for that. You think that the books are not going to be balanced? The just God of the universe, the judge of all the living and the dead is not going to make sure the books are right? That's foolish. That is foolish. For these people that think that they can go into these schools and shoot up 10, 12 kids and then shoot themselves and think that they're going to miss out on judgment. Ha ha, I killed all these people that I killed myself so nothing bad's going to happen. You think you're not going to stand in judgment? 
And do you think that God is going to let you off a ton easier than the U.S. justice system? Are you for real? Are you aware of the U.S. justice system? Please don't make me unplug from this message to tell you about the jacked up reality of the U.S. justice system. God is not jacked up. He knows exactly what's right, exactly what's wrong, and he's going to balance the books in love. In love. It is right and just for him to hold you accountable for what you've done. Amen? Amen. And he will. (laughs) Praise God for Jesus. This is why we have to have all of our faith in Jesus and his grace and his mercy. Because if I'm going to go to God and say, all right, you know what you owe me? He's going to say, yeah, a great big hole in the earth at the bottom of it, a big lake of fire. Do you want what you deserve? No, 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 no. I'm just letting you know. I would like some justice based on Jesus. Not based on me. But those that don't have Jesus, they're getting justice. It is godly to hate evil. God hates evil. Jesus, uh, uh, in talking about Jesus, I think this is in Hebrews chapter 4. I'd have to look it up. It says that Jesus, the reason that he was exalted as the Son of God is because he loved righteousness and eschewed evil. Jesus hated evil. So for you to be Christ-like is to hate evil. And, man, I'll get there in a minute. Genesis 2.15. The Lord God, those of you that don't know, Genesis is the beginning, so this was the creation of all things. One of the, one of the, things that, you, that, that all of us could do better at is understanding hermeneutics in the scripture and bringing things into a balanced perspective by going back and looking at the original intent. If you look at original intent, it will help you a ton with what God's intention still is. Original intent, the garden, mankind in the garden, exactly congruent with what Jesus told us to pray. The Lord's will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And he gave us the picture of it, man in the garden. That was the Lord's will before Satan screwed it up, was man in the garden. And so the original purpose is still the purpose. He wants man in the garden with no snakes. Praise Jesus. And the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. Original intent. You want to know what your generic purpose is? There you go. God wants to take you and put you in the garden. Took and put. Took means that you had to come to him First, put means you let him place you where you belong. This is why a lot of people are out of, out of balance in their spiritual life because they tell God where they need to be. Right. They, they, people do this church all the time. You, you want to have a big church? 
have a have a couple million dollar facility and have smoke machines and lights and and the and hire a band. The the more professional your band, the more likely your church is. And then have your preacher be super slick and and go and learn how to be an incredible orator. Sorry, I repent now. You just got me. <laughs> the, the, this is not. This is why we're not the super huge, awesome, amazing, seeker-sensitive church because we're not doing all the marketing and advertising and doing it the cool way. Praise Jesus. I'm telling you, there's a ton of pressure on that. I've got sucked into those uh, temptations where I'm like, oh, we need to do this, and we need to do this, and we need to do this, and it's endless. And what I finally settled on, I just gave up the whole thing. I said, all right, Lord, you just bring the people that need to be here. The Lord will build his church, Amen. which is what it says in Matthew 16, and it's been in there for, I don't know, 2,000 years, that the, the Lord wants to build his church. And so all I've been doing is praying and believing that the, the people that the Lord told to be here is show up. Obviously, you look around, they ain't all here. And you got a lot of people that God told them to go to church, probably told them to go to beloved church, and all they heard was go to church. And so then they're going to the cool churches that's got all the lights and the, and the amazing first-rate coffee and, and all the donuts. And, all. and they're making choices about where they're going to go to church based on comfort. If you're coming here to be comfortable, you, you, we got altar ministers for you later. I don't know what a spiritual band-aid looks like, but we got them by the box. Put, took and put. Took means come to God. Put means you let him place. Now, what's really unique in the Hebrew here is that put literally means made him rest. This has, this has a ton of connotations to Psalm 23. The Lord's my shepherd, I shall not want. He leads me beside still waters. He leads me into green pastures. God wants to put you beside still waters and put you into green pastures. And a lot of people don't believe this, so they fight God. No, I'm going to go over here. The water looks great. It's going to make my kayak bounce up and down on the rocks. It's going to be really adventurous. I actually want you by the still waters and rest. No, I'd rather have a lot of stuff going on in my heart and my life. Okay. I'll shepherd you back into rest if you want me to. Then we get all wore out, and we were like, God, why aren't I resting? You didn't go where I tried to lead you. The garden, God's intention at the beginning and still his intention, his purpose from the start and his purpose still is for us to be in a place of rest. This is an internal place. It's the peace of God that passes understanding. Isaiah 26.3. There is no substitute for the peace of God. The world's peace is not at war. That's not peace. Just because you're not at war doesn't mean you're at peace. Amen. You'll, you'll get that later. In peace, he commanded the man, mankind, 
to dress the garden and keep the garden. He took them, placed them to dress it and keep it, the garden. They had to dress their rest and keep their rest. Amen. Dress means to cultivate, to prune, to take care of, to work. Well, hold on, preacher. Are we resting or are we working? Yep. If you work from rest, you're doing things in divine energy. Adam would have never got worn out working in the garden of rest. If you're worn out, if you're tired, if you can't make it through the sermon, you might be working from your own energy. Might be. I'm not condemning anybody, but it happens all the time. If you worked all week long in your energy, you're tired right now. I'm just telling you. And I didn't look at anybody, so all the people that are like stupid bringing up my stuff, I'm not looking at you. I don't care. If you want to come here and sleep, praise God. <laughs> and there's way uh, worse place for you to fall asleep. Like Subway and, or on the L in Chicago. Don't do that. But that's why. You are living your life on your energy. And so when your energy is depleted, you're out. God's energy is endless, infinite. You can be like Moses and go up on the mountain 40 days, 40 nights, never eat, never drink, never sleep, and come down and still got enough going on that you throw the, the ten <laughs> you throw the two slabs of rock at the people that are down there fornicating in front of a golden calf. And then you, you know what he did? He went back up the mountain. 40 days, 40 nights, no sleep, no food, no drinking. That's what you can do in God's power. In your power, man, you can barely make it through an eight-hour day doing the thing and the stuff. Okay, y'all don't like that. <clears throat> In the place of rest, God wants us to dress, prune, keep, take care of that rest. And then keep it. To dress it and to keep it. Two commands. Dress it to cultivate the peace of God, to make it more real in our lives, and then keep it, keep it is to guard, to defend. It's an actual military term. Now why would mankind be told to guard and defend the rest of God in the garden? Because God knew there was eventually be a snake. Whatever you don't guard, a snake's going to come in and bite. And when the snake showed up, Adam could have easily reflected back, wait a minute, God told me to guard, to defend, and to cultivate peace, and now this snake is talking to me about something that is not peaceful like God's holding out on me. What he had rights to do was to take his foot and crushed that snake's head. Amen. And because he didn't, 
me and you got to spend the rest of our lives trying to crush that snake's head in our own lives. Jesus crushed him good, but we got to stop that tail from wiggling. You may recall that, Adam, that God created Adam to guard and defend the garden and everything in it. So often that verse is translated to make man's basic God-given purpose to be a gardener. No. God created Adam to be a warrior priest. A warrior priest. To face danger, to defend his domain against the threats like a lying, talking serpent. Adam failed, and in his failure, we have been subjugated to even greater danger since. But this did not change what God wanted men to be. Warrior priests. I want to give you the divine order of the first original institution that God ever created in perfection. And most people have never thought about this. The only thing that God ever created in perfection was the covenant of marriage and the, the family. There was no church in the garden. There was no religion in the garden. There was no temple worship. There was no sacrificing. There was no... The only thing he created in perfection in the garden with mankind was the family, the covenant family. That's it. You want to know what God's perfect will is? Family. You want to know why Satan doesn't want you to be part of the beloved family? Well, I'm not going to be all weird and hang out with them all day and do the stuff and things and, and talk about deep things and spend three hours discussing whatever we discuss. I'm not going to do that. I'm just going to go do the church, clock in, clock out, get my, get my fix. God wants family. He wants family. He wants us all to have the same DNA, to be a part of the same tribe, to be like-minded, to be thusly minded, is what it says in the King James. Here's the divine order. God charged man, husband, with protecting the peace of the home, the garden, and protecting his bride. That was Adam's job. Adam's job was to guard and defend the peace of the garden and his wife, who was in him, supposed to be guarded and protected in that moment. Man's job, husband's job, Mankind, masculine men, godly masculine men, your job is to guard, defend your family, your wife. If that means fight, you better learn to fight. One of the reasons that the enemy can get away with what the enemy can get away with is because the men of today are not willing to fight for anything except a video game. First-person shooter. I'll first-person shoot you on the video game. Well, I want to come and take your children, and I want to groom them, and I want to abuse them. Uh, okay. But I'll shoot you on the video game. Men need to be men in today's society. Godly men protect their bride and protect their family. Period. That's what they do. That is rule number one, 
Purpose number one. That's what God created. In the divine order, man, husband, father, protects wife. Mom nurtures children. One of the things that hurts my heart is seeing all of these mama bears in society right now. It doesn't hurt my heart that the mothers are standing up for, my, for their children. What hurts my heart is that the fathers should be doing it, and because they're not, the mothers have to. And mom will. There's a grace on mom to mama bear. You go after that cub, mama bear is going to come on you. And I hope you know how to run fast. And I've heard bears can run faster. But because papa bear's not there, he's off in a cave watching NFL, having a snooze that takes six months. And so mama has to protect cub. But that is not the way God intended for it to be. God intended for mama to nurture cub. Dad protects mom, mom nurtures cub. <laughs> and, I, and I feel like I, that I shouldn't even have to say these things. Like this should be so natural that people should totally get this. Yes, of course, it's dad slash husband's job to, to protect and take care of, provide for, to cultivate the home, to make sure that, that peace is there, that they're provided for, that the kids are safe, that mom's safe. That's dad's job. And then mom can do her job, nurture the kids and, 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 and develop in them the grace that is required for them to grow up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. For them to be to, for them to be raised under the, under the godly umbrella of mom loving dad and dad loving mom and dad taking care of family and, and cultivating the peace and, and mom nurturing the children. And, and then what's God's job? Defend man. If I do what I'm called to do, God defends me. If I don't do what I'm called to do, I'm on my own. And one of the reasons that men aren't doing what they're called to do is because they're thinking, man, look how big, mean, and terrible it is out there. If I go out there and I, and I stand up and I defend wife and I defend children and I defend what God says things need to be and I stand up for righteousness, well, then who's going to defend me? God. God defends the righteous. March 1st, 1954. But two of you in here were alive then. March 1st, 1954 was the only mass shooting in all of 1950 decade. In the decade of the 1950s, there was one mass shooting. It happened in Washington, D.C. Shocker. <laughs> At the United States Capitol, where four Puerto Rican nationalists 
stood up in the ladies' gallery and shot at the representatives because they were basically terrorists and they were trying to do some Puerto Rican stuff and I'm not getting into the politics of it. The only mass shooting to take place in the entire 1950s was basically four terrorist nationalists that invaded America. And you're being told right now by culture that the reason that all of these mass shootings are taking place in America right now is because of a couple of things. Toxic masculinity. And I am not unplugging and going down that road. But I'll tell you this. The reason they had to add the adjective toxic to masculinity is because the devil wets himself at the idea of masculinity being godly. And so if they attach negative words to it, toxic, bad, then men will shy away from, here, here's what I'm, Here's what I want you to be. I want you to be godly masculine, and I want you to be so godly masculine that people out there say, man, I don't know about that beloved church. All the men over there, they're going to call you toxic anyway. They're going to call you terrible names anyway. They're going to make up stuff about your character, your nature anyway. Why don't you give them something to talk about? As of right now, what? Well, not right now. As of June in 2022, there's been 314 mass shootings in America. Halfway through 2022, 314. If it stays on track, which it looks like they're trying to ramp it up, we're going to have six to 700 mass shootings in America when in the entire decade of 1950 we had one and it was terrorists. What's the difference? Now what they're going to tell you is the difference is we got more guns. Stupid AR weapons of war. Magazines that are so big that people... You have to be literally ignorant to not know what kind of weapons were available to Americans in 1950. Semi-automatic semi weapons were available in 1950. With lots of bullets available to people in 1950. Well, less people had guns. Maybe they were, maybe they were the same kind of guns, but way less people had guns. I'm glad you brought that up. In 1959, 49% of Americans reported owning a gun. 1959, 49%. 2019, 37%. More homes by far owned guns in 1959 than in 2019. By far. Zero, basically zero mass shootings, 1950, 700, 2022, and less homes own guns. There has been six major mass shootings that probably all of you are aware of, like Columbine, the one that just happened in Uvalde. There's something 
that is exactly the same demographic about every single one of these shootings. All six of these, those mass shootings that have killed more than 10 people have been done by boys. And all six of them have been done by boys who have been dad-deprived, dad or what we would call fatherless. 100% of the boys and the men are fatherless boys. In 1950, 59% of America attended church last week. In 1950, 59% of, of America attended church last week. In 2021, 22%. 59%, 22%. I'm sure that has nothing to do with the 7,000% increase in mass shootings and fatherlessness. Out of wedlock birth rate, 1950, 6%. Today, over 50%. If we don't make America godly again, all this other stuff is just chasing a rabbit in a wide open field with a boot on your foot, with a crutch on your leg, you ain't never catching that rabbit. And that's what the world wants you to do. What Satan wants you to do is chase the rabbit all over the prairie for the rest of your life. You're gonna be worn out, you're gonna be tired, you're never gonna catch the rabbit. You wanna catch the rabbit? Make America godly again. If 59%, 59%, y'all, that's not even a good number, but if 59% of America is going to church and 59% of America owns guns, there's no mass shootings. You want to solve mass shootings? Get America back in church. You want to solve mass shootings? Get America out of divorce and fatherlessness. You have never heard this on mainstream media. They say, well, here's how we solve the gun problem. Get rid of the guns. Really? Do you know that nearly 100% of every mass shooting that's ever been done, almost 100% of every mass shooting that's ever been done in the last uh, half a decade have been in no gun zones? Well, if you, make, if you make no gun zones, then no guns will go in there, right? Yeah, because the guns follow the sticker on your window. <laughs> oh, hold on, I can't go in there. Well, I'm carrying you. No, 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 no. I don't just go where you take me. I got to follow the sign. The harder you make it for law-abiding citizens to get guns, the easier you make it for non-law-abiding people to get those guns. And I do not know why this is so complicated. I literally don't. When I hear them talk about this stuff, I'm like, you guys are a special kind of stupid. They don't even send short buses to your house because you don't know how to get on the bus. I'll move on. 
If you, you can do this exact same thing, go back to 1950, you can do this for poverty rate, you can do this for the prison rate. I was a jail chaplain for eight years. I have yet to meet, yet, eight years as a jail chaplain, I have yet to meet someone in jail who had a father and a mother that loved each other and loved that man. Now, I want you to think on that. Eight years in jail as a chaplain, I never met a man whose mother and father loved each other and loved him. Do you think we could change the prison race? Do you think we could change the poverty race? Do you think we could change the shooting race? Do you think we could change? What could we not change? by mothers and fathers loving each other and staying together for the rest of their lives and loving their children in godly love, for babies to be born in homes where they're wanted, where they're loved, where they're appreciated, for mothers to be mothers and fathers to be fathers. And I, and I know that some people probably think that I'm like picking. I'm not. Statistically, there's a bunch of people that are not in those situations. I don't give a rip what your statistic is. I'm telling you what God says. And you can start today. You can be a person today that says, that's God's way, I'm going to do that. Or you can say, well, no, Steve doesn't understand. Statistically, there's no way we can do it. Cultural heroes, you know what God calls a hero? A godly mother and a godly father. God calls that a hero. And you can be that. Oh, well, I don't have any kids. We have a nursery that my wife has to go in every single Sunday because we don't have enough nursery workers. Amen. We got a kid's church. We've got youth. We've got young adults. If you don't have children, we'll give you a couple. <laughs> you can take them home forever. I've talked to some of the parents. You can keep them. You can rename them. <laughs> Malachi chapter 4. Some people do not understand that the last two verses of the Old Testament are some of the most terrible verses in the entire scripture. The last two verses in the entire Bible, if you're a Jew, are these Two verses. And they are, they are riveting. God prophesies, I'm going to send you Elijah. And we all know now in the New Testament, based upon what Jesus said, that Elijah was John the Baptist. Which is really radical because I've been prophesied for 15 years that I'm a modern day John the Baptist. And I used to reject it. I'm like, I don't want to be that guy. I want to be Jesus. <laughs> And now I'm starting to embrace it because I realize what's going on in our culture. I wish I would have embraced it sooner. I'd probably be better. I'm going to send you John the Baptist before the coming of the great and dreadful, great and dreadful. Which is it? Yep. Great and dread, dreadful day of the Lord. The last verse of the entire Old Testament is the next verse. Right after that verse. Do not. I'll read it. Chapter 6. 
He, John the Baptist, will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children. And the hearts of the children to the fathers. Our job, the job of our generation right now, I believe, is to be a John the Baptist generation and to turn the hearts of the father to the children. Notice it's first fathers to children. You know how often we're going to go around and beat up all the kids? Why don't you love your parents? Why don't you honor your parents? Why don't you obey your parents? Why do my parents not have honorableness to them? Why can't I obey them? They're sending me to a school that's grooming me, that's showing me porn in kindergarten, and you want me to honor that? You want me to obey that? Fathers to children first. Children to fathers. If they don't respond, the end result is there's going to be a curse. If we are not aware of the lay of the landscape in America today, there is a curse that is taking place in our young folks that we need to go and redeem them from. And it starts with godly mothers, godly fathers. And we're building it in this room. We're building it in this room. And everyone in here has got a role to play. Well, no, I'm, I'm, I'm a grandparent. You got grandkids. One of the things that breaks my heart is knowing that I, that I know people that consider themselves Christians that do not have their children in church and do not have their grandchildren in church. And they have control. They literally have control. I've talked to these people. I'm in charge of my grandkids. I'm in charge of my children. Are they in church? Nope. Why? They don't want to go. I don't want to wake up early. Convenience. Comfort. Well, the kids might act a fool. So you're going to give them what they want? You're that parent that your kid is throwing a fit on the floor at Walmart, and you're just like, here's some Doritos, some candy. Quit throwing a fit. You're making me look bad. If you're my kid, you throw a fit on the Walmart floor, I'm walking away. You're catching your own ride home. You ain't my kid. Amen. You better call grandma. She'll come get you, maybe. Well, you know my mom. <laughs> First Timothy chapter 5. Oh, stupid clock. <sighs> Make America godly again. It's time to make fathers and mothers great again. I honestly think that a godly mother and a godly father are some of the greatest heroes in the universe. I think Ryan and Jess, I'm, I'm in awe of them. They, they're doing a better job than me and Kay did, and we did okay. We didn't kill them. Hannah's still sitting here. She still loves us. <laughs> Praise God. But she sits by grandma, like, <laughs> keeps, keeps a little bit of a distance. But godly parents, they, I literally consider godly parents heroes. The Miller family, man, if you haven't met the Millers and their kids, you know that Kevin and Kathy are doing an incredible job. They are heroes. They are legitimate heroes. They are raising children. There are children. <clears throat> I didn't know that was going to hit me. There are people in this church young people that love me. And, and I get to play 
a father figure role in their lives. That, that's, that's more heroic to have influence in the heart of a young person in today's society. And you can do that. It's not, I'm not special. I just love them. They're, they're valuable. The three biggest problems in America. One, broken homes. Especially fatherlessness that comes from secularism. Secularism is go knock up as many people as you can knock up. They'll get a paycheck. You're good to go. The second greatest problem in America, teachers unions. <laughs> Laugh all you want. You send your godly kid to college or school and they will come out the other side a woke, broke leftist. And you may never get them back. The third problem, irreverence for the ecclesia. Irreverence for the ecclesia. What Jesus died to produce, the church, ecclesia, it has become very common for us to make fun of, at best, at worst, to literally abuse the bride, to abuse the bride. God have mercy on the people that think it's okay to abuse Jesus's bride. That is not going to work out well. And we have denominations that are doing, there are seven denominations right now in America, seven. There are seven denominations in America right now that are literally in covenant with Molech. In covenant with Molech. I won't name them because there's people in this building that you still have associations with some of those denominations. But they are in covenant with Molech because those seven denominations have sworn an oath and signed a covenant with Molech to kill babies. And there are people in this room that are still associated with those churches. Which means that you are in covenant with Satan while you're calling yourself a Christian. I got news for you. God doesn't look at it the same way you do. Amen. Amen. <laughs> You're, you're just clapping because I'm done. Okay, get up. Please rise. Thank you so much for sharing this time with us as we have encountered Jesus Christ through the ministry of his life-changing word. If you would like to learn more about Steve Castle Ministries and Beloved Church, you can go online to stevecastle.com or belovedchurchillinois.com. You can also contact us at 815-990-0367. Always remember that you are a part of the Beloved Family of God, and Beloved Church is the place where you are greatly loved. Now please open your heart to receive as Pastor Steve proclaims the blessing of the Father over your life. I pray, I declare that above all things, 
that you allow the finished work of the cross to bring prosperity into your finances and also divine health prospering your body and all of these things are going to affect you in a supernatural way as you allow your soul your mind your will your emotions and your personality to be perfected in prosperity that the father desires for you to have we love you and we cannot wait to see and be with you again soon. Goodbye, beloved.